Our sermon passage today continues on in our sermon series in the Gospel of John, True and Better. And where we'll be this week is actually where we were last week and where we'll be next week. We're looking at the very first miracle that Jesus does in the Gospel of John. And we're looking at it kind of as a blueprint. This is Jesus turning the water into wine at this wedding celebration celebration in the small town of Cana in Galilee. And what I want to suggest is in this very first sign, we see Jesus displaying three things. His authority, his right to say and do what he says and does, his power, his ability to do it, and his character, the, good, the thing that makes that authority and that power good news for us. And what we're going to do this week is focus in on the second of those, how this miracle shows us the power of Jesus and what uh, the power of Jesus means for us today. So with that in mind, let's read again uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it we see a picture of who you are and what you're up to. I thank you for this one, th- these passages, uh, these verses in particular. And I pray, Lord, that you would use them this morning by your spirit to awaken with us within us faith. That we would be enabled to more and more look to you as our source of strength. And that we would see how the demonstration of Jesus' power isn't just a magic trick, but it is profound good news for us who are in desperate need of you to work. So I pray uh, all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A number of years ago, I was at Disney World. And I love roller coasters, and they have some really good ones there. And it was a, a very hot summer day, and it was the middle of the summer. So there were a lot of people there. Tons and tons of people. So the wait lines on all the roller coasters were really long. But I really wanted to ride one. So we found uh, the shortest line uh, of all the coasters at, at the park that day. And it was a, a, a roller coaster called the Barnstormer. And it was Goofy themed. And I love Goofy. I always have. And uh, we, we went up to the Barnstormer. And I don't think I'd ever ridden it at this point. We look at it and the line is 45 minutes long. This is the shortest line we could find. So we get in line. And like I said, I love roller coasters. And uh, 
if you've ever been in line for a ride, you know you anticipate. You're kind of waiting around for uh, for it to inch forward a little bit at a time. You're you're counting the number of people, thinking, okay, there's four more times around, and then it's me. Well, we waited for 45 minutes. We finally get in, and I had noticed while we were in line that the roller coaster seemed kind of short. And so what I decided to do was to time it while we were on it to see exactly how long this roller coaster lasted from when it took off to when it went back into uh, where, where you uh, get off of the roller coaster. And so I had my phone, started it, and it took off. We went through the, the little loops back around, the drop, hopped out, and it turned out that this roller coaster, if I remember correctly, was 13 seconds long. 13 seconds. We had just waited 45 minutes in the very hot sun for a 13-second ride. And yeah, it was fun, but I have to be honest. Waiting 45 minutes for a 13-second ride is a little bit of a disappointment. Now, our passage this morning, as I said earlier, is the same one as last week. This is Jesus turning the water into wine at a wedding festival um, in the small town of Cana in Galilee. And I pointed out, if you remember, if you were listening last week, that uh, what happens is the very first chapter of the Gospel of John makes a bunch of claims about who Jesus is. It says that he's the Word who was with God and who was God. So it's saying that Jesus is God, that he created all things, that in Jesus is life, and that life of his is the light of all mankind. These are huge claims. It's saying that he's coming into the world to give us the right to be called the children of God. It says that he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the Son of God, the, the King of Israel, etc., etc. These are humongous claims. And what happens in chapter 2 is a number of scenes, the gospel writer, uh, the gospel uh, writer is the man named John, he, he includes these scenes to show us exactly what it means for Jesus to be the people he's claimed to be. These claims in the first chapter are lived out in the rest of the book. And so when we turn here to the first 11 verses of the second chapter, we're looking at the very first scene that John has included to show us how Jesus lives out all these claims in the first chapter. And uh, if you remember, the very last thing that Jesus says to his disciples, he's gathered these disciples around him, he says that they're going to see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on him. He's essentially saying that Jesus is going to be this dramatic invasion of God's kingdom <laughs> into this world of darkness, that he's going to be the place where heaven touches earth in grace, um, and that his disciples are going to be witnesses of this, that they're going to see this happen. And then what happens? Where's the next place he takes them after telling them they're going to see heaven open up? A small town wedding. Now, it had to feel like a little bit of a disappointment. It had to feel a little anticlimactic. It, it had to feel like waiting 45 minutes for a 13-second roller coaster. Sure, a wedding is fun, but I'm sure they had all been to weddings before. How exactly is Jesus taking them to a small town wedding, showing them anything extraordinary? How is this significant at all? What I think we'll see this morning as we look at this passage is this wasn't the barnstormer, my uh, goofy roller coaster, at all. This wasn't anticlimactic in the slightest. What it was was here, at this very ordinary place, Jesus began to display his power. 
he began to show them his incredible power. Now, last week, you'll remember we talked about how Jesus had displayed his authority, his right to say what he says. Well, here we focus in on his power, his ability to bring about what he says he will bring about, his ability to do what he says he'll do. And what I think we'll see this morning is that Jesus reveals his glory by showing us his power and showing us that he puts his power to work on behalf of others. And for that reason, we must trust in him to fulfill his promises. So let's look at it. Let's think about it some more. As we read through the first verses of this scene, we are supposed to be struck by how ordinary this is. As we've said, this is not grand, this is not big, this is not Jesus making his debut on on a big public stage. This, as I've said, is a very small town wedding in a place called Cana in the region of Galilee, a, a town that's so insignificant that we don't actually know exactly where it was today. We Archaeologists don't know exactly where Cana was. They know the region because it tells us here, but, but it faded into obscurity. Um... It's ordinary. This isn't a big society wedding. These aren't two notable, this isn't a notable uh, bride and groom getting married. Uh, these are is a rather poor couple in this small town. As, as we saw, it seems to be why they ran out of wine in the first place. They didn't have the money uh, to buy or the things to trade to get enough wine to supply for the, the whole feast for all of their guests. These are painfully ordinary folks in an ordinary place. And when Jesus turns to the servants and he asks them to fill the water jugs to the brim, this is the most ordinary of things for a Jewish person in that world, these jugs of water. These are water for ceremonial cleansing. It was the equivalent of Jesus telling them to go get tap water out of the faucet. It would have been in every home, at every place, just kind of standard water that's there. Very ordinary. So it's into this very ordinary situation that Jesus works to demonstrate his power for the first time. Jesus, in his power, turns this ordinary water into the most valuable of things, the finest wine that could be enjoyed or traded or kept, all to great benefit. In a world where people traded things as, as often as they used coins or money to pay for it, this was like Jesus dropping a big check into this young couple's bank account uh, But notice that Jesus doesn't just display his power in a way that maybe we would. I think sometimes we think of power like the muscles of a weightlifter. And yeah, that's strength, right? That's physical strength. But we we use these definitions of power, I think, and maybe misread Jesus. We maybe think of Jesus using his power in miracles, kind of like a weightlifter, picking up the biggest weight he could. And so Jesus looks around to find uh, the most weight he can pick up to impress everybody. And like a weightlifter, he lifts it, he grunts with big demonstration, and he drops it on the ground. And everybody around goes, oh, wow, he's really strong, right? Um, But notice in this passage that Jesus actually seems, for lack of a better word, a little shy about demonstrating his power uh, certainly not the, the weightlifter grunting and bringing attention to himself. He's actually more concerned, uh, less concerned with people seeing it. His disciples see it. He's less concerned with that than he is that his power is benefiting other people. Think about it. 
It looks like only the disciples and maybe the servants who fetched the water know that anything weird has happened. But everyone there, everyone at the party benefits from his power. Everyone there benefits from this fine wine. Yes, Jesus demonstrates his power here, and it's written for us to read and marvel about, but he shows us here, I think, that his demonstrations of power are never detached from them being used for the benefit of others. It's never a weightlifter trying to impress. That's not how Jesus ever uses his power. But, at the same time, this is a clear demonstration of considerable power. Notice, when he changes the water into wine, he doesn't even touch the water. There's no indication that he even moved from the table where he was at. (laughs) He simply caused the transformation to occur. And the water that was there to help clean, to symbolically remind the people of their need for cleansing day in, day out, it was turned into the the wine of great feasting. As the disciples saw, this was no parlor trick. This was no sleight of hand, Jesus distracting and replacing the water with wine. No, that this right here was Jesus bending nature to his will. This was power. Indeed, great strength. And in that moment, in that moment, watching this happen in front of their eyes, their doubts that he was able to do the great things that they had heard about already that are recorded for us in the first chapter of John, those doubts began to melt away. They had become witnesses here to his marvelous power. And they believed that Jesus was the Son of God and able to come through on everything that he had said. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the disciples don't continue to doubt, that their faith doesn't ebb and flow over time. In fact, as we keep reading the Gospel of John, we see that that's very true, that their faith ebbs and flows. But what they see here is a slight unveiling. Jesus pulling the curtain back, and they see this demonstration of his great power, and they can't help but have their hearts, in a sense, captured. Because what they see is someone using power in a way they've never seen before. Not someone using their power to win accolades, not someone using power to impress, but someone using considerable power for the benefit of others. You know, I think one of my very favorite things, one of the greatest joys in my life as a follower of Jesus is seeing the power of God at work in other people. Um, and being able to recognize it when they can't see it most clearly. And that's true of all of us, I think, that we often can't see how God is changing us. We often can't see the, the power of Jesus at work in our own selves, but other people can see it. But one of the great gifts as a follower of Jesus is seeing people dramatically, uh, being dramatically matured and, or transformed by the grace and power of Jesus. Now, whether that be somebody who's grown up, uh, never knowing a day when they didn't believe in Jesus and just seeing them mature over time, or that somebody uh, encountering the grace of Jesus for the first time and and having almost a 180 turnaround, Uh, seeing Jesus and his power bringing life to dead places is a great gift. You know, a number of years ago, I met a new friend through church, and she had been invited to the church where I was a member um, by a friend. And there she heard the gospel message of Jesus 
and his sacrificial love, that he died on the cross for her sins, that he raised, he was raised for the dead so that she could have new life. She heard this message for the very first time and it captured her heart right away. Um, and she was someone who had lived an incredibly difficult life. Uh, she had lived a, a life who, and made terrible decisions in her life. She had been sinned against by just about everyone uh, in her life leading up to that. She had lived, lived a, a very difficult life. And the idea that God would love her so much, that he would love her, she couldn't get past it. She would weep when she spoke about Jesus. She was unable to grasp his grace. She would say uh, to us who had maybe heard the message so many times that it became familiar. She would say, did you know that Jesus died for me? For me. And, and when you say, yeah, we, we, we know. <laughs> yeah, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We, we'd say that when we didn't cry along with her, she would say, no, you don't understand. He died for me. For me. She devoured scripture. She became zealous and passionate about learning more and more about this gracious Jesus. And it rippled out from her. The power at God and uh, the power of God at work in her heart, uh, it rippled out to the rest of us. In many of us, it renewed our love for Jesus. Simply seeing an absolute transformation awakened something in our hearts that had maybe started to uh, go to sleep. And all of a sudden, her family and her neighborhood, uh, people were coming to faith all around her because they had seen the power of God at work in her. And all of us seeing this, the glory of God shone in, in her coming to new life, we were changed. The power of God in her became the power of God at work in us. Next week, we're going to focus on the character of Jesus. We're going to look at this same passage. Why his authority and his power are good news for us. Because we live in a world where a lot of people have authority, or legal say so. We live in a world where a lot of people have power, but more often than not, those people who have authority and power use it for selfish reasons. They use it to squash others, to put them down to oppress. But in Jesus, in Jesus, we see a power that is not simply used for his own good. We see a power that is married to his loving intentions for us. And so our invitation this morning is this. Because uh, we get to become spectators to see his power at work, his grace at work, let's open our eyes to it. Let's develop open eyes and pray that God would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see his grace at work in our hearts and in the hearts of others. Let's be continuously pointed back time and time again to the depths of his love for us in his life, death, and resurrection when God's power was ultimately revealed in the voluntary weakness of Jesus, as, as much of a paradox as that may seem. The greatest demonstration of God's power was the weakness of Jesus at the cross because there the all-powerful God took on all of our sin and all of our weakness that he might break the bondage that held us down so that we might be brought into God's household as dearly loved daughters and sons. And in his great power of breaking forth in victory from the grave and his resurrection, he gives us hope 
that no matter how great our sin may be, no matter how great our weakness may feel, His strength can overcome. And again, His power be put put to use for our benefit. And so in the here and now, in our common life together, we become spectators of His glory, just like the disciples here. And we, like the disciples in the wedding of Cana, we witness the power of Christ before our very eyes and and faith begins to grow in our hearts. We respond to the demonstration of God's power in Jesus by faith. But we aren't just spectators. We become experiencers. We experience the power of Jesus ourselves and all the benefits of His salvation are given to us, including His Holy Spirit, through whom Jesus works to transform us into His likeness. His glory is revealed in His work of saving us, the power at work within us and in front of our eyes to show us that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is able to do what He says He will do. Last week we talked about how the authority of Jesus gives us the greatest confidence that what He says is true because He has the right to say it. So when He says that our sins are forgiven, when He says that we are loved by God, we can believe Him even when it doesn't feel true. Well, let's add to that the power of Jesus, his ability to follow through on what he says. Not just his right to say it, but his ability to see it through. So when Jesus says that we belong to him and that he holds us in his hand and none can ever snatch us from his hand, these aren't empty words. He has the right to say it in the power. He will keep us. Even when our sin feels so strong, even when the temptations of this world feel so strong that we think they may topple us, we can have great hope in the power of Jesus. And not just in the power of Jesus demonstrated in changing water into wine, even though that's a great demonstration of power. But as I said earlier, the power of Jesus in taking on the the, the weight of our sin condemning it in himself, the power of Jesus at work in his resurrection from the dead, which in turn becomes our hope. We can have hope that death does not have the final word because Jesus has the final word in his demonstration of power against death. And so we can come to him by faith this morning, and this is our invitation as he shows us his power, let's not think it's just him, like that weightlifter I was talking about, uh, lifting the weights and dropping them to show off. No, we can say this. The all-powerful God is my God. The all-powerful God is the God who puts his power at work for my benefit.